So, apparently, the end has come. It's 1,000 degrees every single day. It's going to happen again. Hope you have your uh, stockpiles of water because it's going down. Yeah, it was ridiculously hot last night. If you're like me, I I hate the heat. Um, and I hate being hot at night. It's very difficult for me to fall asleep at night. Uh, e- even when it's like, it's like your body wants to be, a, you know, it's a weird thing to describe, but you want to be a little bit cold, not freezing, but a little bit cold. So you need the blanket and that helps you go to sleep. So um, yeah, man, I didn't get too much sleep. And then on top of it, I, 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 most of you know, I have two young kids. And so they, of course, didn't sleep well, which then means absolutely you don't sleep well. My daughter, she's three, she climbed in the bed, and my wife um, describes her as a starfish when she jumps in the bed, because she completely spreads out, like, like just like this, and so uh, it was super hot, uh, did not getting any sleep, and then my daughter's just pushing me to the far edge of the bed, and then on top of that, she does this thing where um, it's like she wants her feet to be under something, so she digs her feet into you while you're sleeping and will kick you until she can get like just one foot underneath your body, which it, it's, so, it's incredibly comfortable to have like a foot uh, in your side the whole night. Uh, other interesting thing, uh, and we'll get started, I promise, but uh, some of you you know, if you have young children, like your floor, your, the floor just becomes a, a hazard. There's just things that you can not only trip on, but like cut your feet with, with or whatever. But I had the most interesting thing happen. Um, there was a cookie cutter, like a, you know, like a little gingerbread thing left out. And I, ste- I stepped on it, I guess like my heel stepped on it. And it was with enough weight and pressure on it that it took like a little chip of my heel off. Like it dug in to my heel, like the cookie, like I got, my foot got cookie cutter, like a little gingerbread thing. It was, and, and it, they're not sharp, so it doesn't make a clean cut, you know? So it's, 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 it's worse. It was just, just horrible. So, uh, so Father's Day sermon, yeah. Uh, I, w- I was telling someone earlier, uh, Benny's on the worship team, that I, I, I typically don't like doing when there's Father's Day sermons or Mother's Day sermons. Um, we're going through the book of 1 John, and so we're taking a break, and uh, we're just going to do a message about fatherhood. Uh, and so I like just going through the Bible verse by verse. That's easier. We've been doing that. If you're new with us, joining with us, we'll pick back up with that next week. We've been doing it for like nine weeks or like week nine or ten in this series of 1 John called The Heart of the Father. But today, we're just going to talk about fatherhood. And it'll be interesting because typically on Father's Day and Mother's Day, you get, you know, you get a bunch of happy thoughts if you're a father. You're told how awesome you are and how we love you. And so I don't do much of that. I'm just going to tell you how we're all failing, how Christ is victorious, and we need to be more like him. Uh, and actually, I think that's what makes men thrive. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but also, I understand today is difficult for many people because either you, your father isn't here or you didn't have a father or you have a bad relationship with uh, your earthly father figure. But the one thing we all have in common is that no one had a perfect dad, but we do have a perfect heavenly father. So we can at least all unite in that. Uh, we'll start off with something funny because we'll be talking about the failures of fatherhood. Uh, so in order to, to kind of jumpstart that, just a quick video 
in a minute and a half or less that will perfectly encapsulate uh, the failure of fathers. life and I try to work from home. <laughs> so what, what's so funny about the like 70-80% of those clips, and if you go on YouTube, there's, there's so many of them, but what you'll see over and over again is is like dads just wanting to be cool in front of their wife and kids. Like you're trying to impress, it's like the dad's trying to impress his four-year-old that he's cool, that he could do something. Look at dad, I could jump in the swimming pool. That one where the dude goes into the ocean, he just played that off like nothing happened. You almost broke your neck. You could have been dead or paralyzed and you're just gonna back float acting like you're, you're cool. You know that hurt. Um, but there's, some, there's something in us now. Um, I wanted to start off light because some of the stuff we will be dealing with will be heavy. Um, because the, the issue of fatherhood is of utmost importance. When, when children, when people don't have fathers in their lives, the world is a very difficult, dismal place. You need dads behind you, encouraging you, pushing you forward. I mean, that's kind of what moves us and inches us forward in life. And when you don't have the encouragement, the support, um, the, the, the certainty that dad is behind you, that is a very difficult thing. Now, there's some of you who know exactly what I'm talking about. There's some of you who are uh, raising your kids in a situation like this. Um, and so y- you know exactly what I'm talking about. It is very difficult to do family when there's not a dad around. Um, and the, th- the thing is, is on a, on a kind of personal level, we know that, but also the effects kind of in culture at large are just detrimental. And this isn't, again, to make um, you feel like if you're, you're raising a family without a father that it's, things are just going to go bad. No, no, no. The, you, you don't have to be a statistic. But the statistics are clear on these issues. Um, when, when you are raised in a family without a father around, when dad leaves, 
the, the kids are more likely to, to suffer with depression, suicide, violence, gang activity, with, with failing grades, body image issues, eating disorders. I mean, it's just a fact of reality. And the scary thing is, is culturally right now, one in four children are being raised without a father in their life at all. It comes about to 18 million kids in our country. Average median income of a single mom trying to raise a family is $26,000. Try to live off $26,000 a year as a single parent trying to raise a family. So you add missing father figure and then poverty into that situation and you have a massive problem. And the effects and ripples of that are being felt in our culture like never before. We've quadrupled the rate of kids growing up without a father since the early 1960s. And the 60s weren't that great of years to begin with. So quadrupled that in, in, in several decades. Now, um, we don't need uh, a bunch of statistics and kind of modern antidotes to, to illustrate this. This kind of illustration, this talk, begins in the very first pages of the Bible. In the book of Genesis, there is this theme and thread that's going throughout the entire book about fathers, particularly kind of the patriarchs of of the faith and Christianity, the people who we look to as like heroes of the faith. These men in, in the book of Genesis as fathers fail again and again and again, and it's wreaking havoc upon their families. Because when men, particularly fathers, fail, women and children suffer. This is why it's incredibly important. When fathers fail, women and children suffer. And it's a theme, a thread that's in the book of Genesis. And I'm telling you, I've, I've taught the book of Genesis at a, uh, from the whole thing verse by verse, and I've read dozens of co- commentary, scholarly, academic work, and very few um, of the, the writings on the book of Genesis pick, pick this theme up. It's like we're sort of blinded to it, but I want to briefly illustrate it to you to show that how in the very first pages of the Bible, you're already getting God concerned with the failures of fathers and the effects of it upon the family. So uh, I'm going to go, f- go fast at this part because I just want to sum up uh, about 30 chapters in the Bible dealing with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the mistakes of these guys and how they're presented in the Bible. Because again, the interesting thing is the Bible doesn't um, just lightly mention these failures of father figures. It highlights them. It puts the spotlight on them. It says, like, it makes it abundantly clear. Look at when you do this stuff, this is what happens. So we'll start off with Abraham, the founder of the faith. Abraham, father Abraham. Uh, pick up at the very beginning, right after he gets called by God, there's a famine in the land, and he needs to travel down to Egypt. Now, he starts thinking to himself, wow, my wife, she's, she's pretty hot. She's attractive. She looks good. So the men of Egypt are going to want to take her, want to take her as a wife. Um, but if, if they know I'm her husband, they're going to want to kill me so they can take my wife. So what does Abraham do? He asks his wife, hey, if people ask you like when the bad guys come and they, they come to get you, say I'm your brother, not, not your husband. This is Abraham. You know, they don't teach this stuff like it, like Sunday school children's stories, like Father Abraham had many sons. He tried to pretend to be like his wife's sister or brother. <laughs> Lack of sleep, man, sleep deprivation. So he actually goes through with it. The, the Egyptian dudes come, and they take his wife. And he's like, 
Yeah, just say I'm, say I'm your brother. And he goes through with it. This is crazy. And, and believe it or not, Abraham doesn't, if you're familiar with Genesis, you know where I'm going with this. He just doesn't do this once. He does it twice. He's in another land, different location. There's a guy named Abimelech. He's sort of like a mini king. And he does the same thing. He's like, hey, when we're in this land, Abimelech, his people, look, you're very beautiful, but you're a little too beautiful. So when they come, tell, I'm just your brother. I don't want to get killed. And, and, and God actually has to intervene in both of those situations to save her from being permanently kidnapped and being like the concubine or pseudo-wife of, of, this, of these men in these polygamous cultures. It's crazy. And the Bible just doesn't like mention it briefly. It devotes time and space to the failure of Abraham. Abraham also wants to have a kid, but he and his wife can't get pregnant. So they, they devise this awesome plan where uh, Abraham is going to have sex with his concubine, and then they're going to raise that child as if it's theirs. Uh, now, God says, no, this isn't the way it works. And eventually, to make a long story short, Abraham and his wife do end up having a kid. But just imagine the household where there's two women who have both have sex with the same man, and they're raising kids in the same kind of household. And how do the kids interact? Well, it goes bad. It goes horribly bad. Um, Abraham's wife basically tells Abraham to, to throw your, your firstborn son, Ishmael, with the concubine, Hagar, go send him into exile. Just get rid of him. Abandon them. And he does. And God has to supernaturally provide for these, this abandoned woman and, and son. It's crazy. And this is, again, the theme that you're seeing again and again. When, when the father figure fails in that manner, the women and children suffer. They suffer. Abraham, uh, his other son, Isaac, who the Bible is concerned about because Abraham, Isaac, and then his son, Jacob, is the line through which Jesus comes from. But the Bible's really concerned with Isaac and Jacob. Isaac uh, is like dad. He hooks up with, with a woman. They get married. Um, they end up having kids, these, these twin brothers, Jacob and Esau. And uh, there's competition, and Isaac and Rebekah, their parents, have favorites. There's favoritism in the family. It's interesting. It says that Isaac favors Esau because Esau's a hunter and brings him food. I mean, like, literally, it says that. He's like, Isaac likes the game of Esau. It's, it's good food. It's like, if, son, if you bring me beef jerky on a regular basis, I will favor you above all the other children in the family. Uh, Isaac does the same thing his dad does. Isaac and Rebekah are going through a certain land. Uh, Gerar, and Isaac tells Rebecca, hey, you know, you look pretty good. These men might want to take you, so if they want to and they come after you or me, say I'm your brother, and you go ahead and just do, do what needs to be done to save me. Men and fathers are meant to protect and serve their wives and children, and when they don't, women and children suffer. And that's exactly, again, what we see happening. Those two kids that they have who are, like, highly competitive, it gets so crazy that one steals the birthright from one, and basically Esau is set on murdering his own brother Jacob. So Jacob has to flee to this other location, and he meets a, a, a relative, a friend of, a, a relative of his wife named Laban, and he likes one of Laban's daughters. So he agrees to to work seven years for this guy named Laban if you let me marry your daughter. By the way, it gets really bad, but that idea I do like. It, that, that, 
you know, if you want to come after my daughter, you come and work for me for seven years, backbreaking labor, and if you're still around, we'll talk. <laughs> and the rest of the story is going to go bad, but <laughs> that, if you get anything out of today's sermon. <laughs> uh, so Jacob works for seven years, and the dad gives Jacob, one of the daughters in marriage, but he gives a different daughter than the one Jacob wanted. Gives her a different, like what kind of, picture the poor girl in this situation. You're the unwanted daughter, and now you're married to this dude who, who has a crush on your sister. So Jacob agrees to work for seven more years to add to his marriage the other woman that he originally wanted to begin with. Now, um, Again, what's interesting is you have Jacob uh, creating this environment where he has a favorite wife and this, this issue of favoritism, of polygamy, concubines, children growing up in these types of household, and then the children repeating the sins of their father. It comes up again. And Jacob and Esau eventually reconcile a little bit, but Jacob gives birth to the 12 tribes of Israel, these 12 sons. And I'm just going to finish it off by saying this. By the time you get to Jacob and his 12 kids, those 12 kids are involved in murder, incest, rape, prostitution. They sell their brother into slavery. It's all there. And we're just in the book of Genesis. And I'm just giving you a rush view of this. And the Bible is showing it. It's making it crystal clear. It's highlighting this. Put the spotlight on it. These sins of parents, and particularly the sins of fathers, they come up and they repeat themselves again and again. If we had time, we'd look at the life of David, who's the good king. What happens with his kids? I mean, the stuff that, the stuff that David's kids do is hard to say out loud from the pulpit. It's so uncomfortable. It's, it's, it's crazy. You, you got to read these stories. But again, here's the point. All throughout the Old Testament, you're getting this idea that um, the sins of fathers revisit their children, and there's patterns and sin cycles, and things repeat themselves again and again and again. The book of Judges also makes that abundantly clear. Now, simultaneously, there's this echo in the Old Testament. I'll call it an echo because you can barely hear it. It's, 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 it's not even noticeable by most people, but there's this idea that there is this good, perfect heavenly father, that God himself is a father figure for all of humanity. It's, it's barely there, though. I mean, you get a few verses here and there in the Old Testament, but what you need to know is that people before Jesus, for the most part, didn't see their relationship primarily as children of God and he is the father. It's there, but it's not primary. It's secondary. It's, it's like hidden. It's just a faint voice that God is father. By the time you get to the New Testament and the arrival of Jesus, what Jesus does is he takes that thing which is off to the side and you can barely hear, and he makes it central. And in the ministry of Jesus, you hear it again and again and again, God is your good heavenly Father. When Jesus is asked, how do we pray? He teaches us how to pray. And he says, you address God as our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then there's these constant teachings again and again that you have a good heavenly father. Luke 11, for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his sons ask for a fish, will instead, instead of a fish give him a serpent? 
Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Another one. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I mean, people, Jesus is, is again taking this, this small thought that's there in the Old Testament and putting a magnifying glass on it and then attaching concepts like this to it. I mean, do you realize how powerful that is? Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And again, if you're a dad today, you, you resonate with that because. Um, it becomes your joy to give your kid a present. Like, right now it's easy because I could give my kids anything and they think it's awesome. I could bring my son home a rock and say, check out this super cool rock. And he'll be like, ah, and he'll play with it and throw it around. It's, it's easy. But when you give, it is my good pleasure. It, it makes me happy to see them happy. And Jesus is saying, this is how God, your heavenly Father, is over you. It is his pleasure to ultimately give you all things, the kingdom. The rest of the New Testament writers pick this up. In 2 Corinthians, Paul takes that echo in the Old Testament and sends it through a microphone. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. 1 John, this is the book we've been going through. 1 John is all about this theme. It's again and again and again. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. So it's like in the Bible, there's the constant failure of, of human fathers, even the, even the best ones, even King David, like the guy who people look up to, even he messes up royally, I mean ridiculously, and children grow up and, and the effects are massive. But Jesus in the New Testament say, look, look, even though that's the case of our earthly fathers, you need to understand that earthly fathers are sort of like this signpost pointing to the greater heavenly father who, who is, who's always good, who does right all of the time. Romans 8.14 this is many people's favorite Bible, one of their favorite Bible verses. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I'm going to spend a little extra, extra time on that Abba, Father concept um, a little, little side truck, because I do feel it's important. I didn't know if it was important, to, if it was worthwhile talking about today, but I think it is. Um, if, if you grew up in the church or you've been a Christian for more than 20 or 30 years, you, you most likely have heard, hey, you can call God Abba Father, and Abba means fill in the blank. What does everyone say Abba means? Daddy or Dad. I've heard it a thousand times in sermons. I've read it. Um, and th that, it's not accurate. Abba, Abba doesn't mean daddy. Um, and there's a reason why I, I think it's important enough to, to talk about this. 
Um, and I'm sorry, too, for those of you who, who love that concept and maybe it's ministered to you, but there, there, there's a greater maturity and a greater understanding that you need to walk into. Um, what, what happened basically in the mid-19th is a scholar named Jeremiah, uh, who, uh, Joachim Jeremiah, and he was the one who first said the word Abba means daddy because there was an archaeological um, find that basically talked about little children, little like school-age children, calling their father Abba. And they, they, he said, look, Abba is an Aramaic term that little kids used to call dad. And so once he said that, people loved the concept so much because it preaches well, it sounds really enlightening. You can call God daddy and you feel like, oh, we're... but it's just not true. Um, the Aramaic language didn't have any other term to call your father. So yes, little kids called their dad, Abba, but so did grown-up adults. It wasn't like a title reserved exclusively for little children. Abba was, was just meant dad or father. Um, but it got picked up enough. And, and here, here's, why, here's why I'm concerned about that today. is because the Bible wants you to have a relationship with God, and it wants you to understand that relationship as one where you're relating to God as a good heavenly father. The word it uses again and again and again and again is father. The word daddy is lacking some of the nuances and meanings that the word father has. And for those, you know how I know this, because some of you have had, you have a bad father figure in your life. The word father, it just, it causes an emotional response in you. That word father is difficult for you. And I know that because I'm up here and I see five of you already in tears. Just the word father hurts. What we do with the word daddy is we eliminate some of the power, respect, and authority that the word father invokes. Now what happens is, is if we had a father figure who used his power in an evil way, he used his authority in an evil way, his, his demand were for respect was done in a harmful way, what we do is we wanna shed those, those, those terms of power and authority and respect, and we wanna relate to God in a way where he doesn't embody those types of things. He's like, a two-year-old relating to dad. He's just daddy. It, God is dad, yes. But in English, the word father brings with it a sense of respect, authority, and power. And we're missing that in today's Christianity. Everyone wants little, nice, fluffy, personal relationship with Jesus. Everything daddy communicates is included in the word father, but father has a whole lot more there too. Respect, power, and authority. And just because um, we've grown up with hurt feelings and, and failed father figures, what you, the work you have to do is not to picture God without power and authority. The, the work is to develop a healthy view of power and authority and understand that God is your loving father. It is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You are his child. He loves you. There's nothing you can do that can separate you from that love, but he's also king of kings, lord of lords, and will return uh, in the power and might of his son to judge the righteous and the wicked. And, and you gotta, you got to hold that together. And what I've seen happen is people diminish that, and, and it leaves you kind of in this immature state where you're relating to God in a way that isn't, isn't what the Bible is actually asking you to do. 
So, again, um, when we relate to God, we're relating to him as children to a good heavenly father. And that's a good, this is a good thing. What the Bible does then in the New Testament in a number of ways, especially in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, it it, it tells husbands and fathers to to love their their wives and by extension the the, the children in a similar way that Christ loved the church. And and the, the inner theology of the Bible is this. You have your good, perfect, heavenly father, and when Jesus comes to earth, Jesus is the perfect representation of the good heavenly father. If you want to know what God's like, you look at Jesus. If you want to know how God would behave on earth, you look at Jesus. Jesus is the perfect representation of God the Father. And so then we as Christians are to be Christ-like. We are to mirror Jesus as Jesus mirrors the Father. Kind of get the logic of that. Jesus perfectly mirrors the the Father, and we broken and fallen, we are broken mirrors, are then called to mirror Jesus into the world. We're supposed to be Christ-like. And in doing that, we're putting the love of the Father, the love of our Creator God, back into the world. And so what I wanted to do today was, one, my intent was to keep it fun by starting off with that video. Uh, But I'm just, it's just, it's too serious of subject matter. I I planned that, though, so there's another funny video coming up in two minutes to bring it back down, and then I'll go back up. Um, But what I'd like to do today for Father's Day is just give a word of encouragement to three groups of people, to the young men in the room, to the fathers in the room, to the grandfathers in the room. Um, Before I do that, though, one other group, I want to give a quick word to... uh, the women in the room, because we're going to spend some time talking to the men because it's Father's Day, but, but something, something for women as we go forward. Um, man, our culture right now is telling you a lot of things about men, um, and a, a lot of them aren't true. It's, it's really trendy to think of, of men as just like, this started in the 90s with TV shows. They're just a bunch of stupid, like, nitwit idiots. You guys remember that wave of, like, sitcoms in the 90s? Like, every dad was just depicted as a lazy dude who's an idiot who's barely holding it together, and mom's, mom's doing everything. And, and, and you started that off in the 90s, and now it's particularly among young people. It's, like, trendy to try to shame men. Everything men do is, is, is sexist and wrong, and they don't get it, and it's a part of the patriarchy, and everything's just so backwards. Look, there's real sexism in the world, absolutely. You young women and, and all women, you know that there's real sexism, but there's this kind of, like, extreme form that's, like, just wants you to shame men, to not like men, to look down upon them. Uh, it's in music. You don't need a man. You, there's no, you, look it. Women need men. Men need women. Get over it. Like, it, seriously. It, it, it's so ridiculous. There are some people in the room who you're called to, you might be called to celibacy. Uh, men and women, you won't need to get married. You won't need to, to, to live in that situation. But that is, that is the minority of people. If God has given you that gift or you're called into that or because of a broken marriage, you're put in a situation where you have to live like that, then, then yeah, not every single person has to have a man or a woman in their life, but the vast majority of human beings do. And every time I hear music, like it's like, women, you don't, you don't need a man. It's like, give me a break. 
in the book of Genesis, Adam walks with God before sin enters into the world. Get this. This is going to like wreak havoc. You can sort it out later. I'm not here to sort it out. I'm just going to ruin the theology for a second. We always tell people, all you need is God in your life. All you need is God. Adam, before sin enters into the world, walks with God without sin in the way. Sin is not there. Adam is literally walking with God. And what does God tell him? It's not good for a man to be alone. Adam's lonely because God made human beings to be like this, to come together in one flesh. Not 100% of the people. There's a, there's a gift of celibacy, and some of you are calling it that. But that's, it is a good thing. So, so women, I, just, I don't want you to buy into this idea that like, like you're never going to need a man and you're better off without a man. No, that's not the way the world works. It's not the way you work. It's not the way God made you. And uh, just don't, don't buy into to a lot of the stuff you're, you're hearing today. All right. Word to young men. Start working hard as soon as you can. I mean, start learning to work hard. Um, if you have a, a dad in your life who, uh, uh, this is a good example, and I'll use Sam Whitaker's mission passing here. Uh, his dad just made, made them kids like work every weekend in the backyard. It was like, we're going to make you, are you do that too? Looking over your kids, hey, look, a pastor's talking about me, son. What good dad. You know what we're doing for Father's Day? You're going to go work in the backyard, son. Um, <laughs> You, uh, our young men are growing up in an environment where they're coddled, they're, they have an excuse for everything, it's, it's everyone gets a trophy type of culture. Um, young men, you got to learn to start working hard as soon as you can. You were meant, young men, to carry weight upon your back, heavy weight. God designed you to have responsibility, to carry the weight of family and responsibility, and when you don't do that, your life will be miserable. I mean this, like, literally. You were literally designed to carry weight upon your back, and when you don't do that, you're going to lose your mind. I'm going to illustrate this. I've, I've shared this a couple times, but it illustrates the point perfectly. I'll show you two types of dogs. Dog on the left is an American bulldog. Um, what owners of some American bulldogs do is they put this harness on them, and then they, they have them pull a bunch of weight. You can see it. There's just a ton of bricks, and the American bulldog is just, you can see his actual muscle in his arm. Like, you, the dog's ripped out of his mind, and he's pulling this weight. Now, if you watch YouTube videos of this, people in the comments section will be like, this is so cruel and barbaric. Look at how they're treating the animals. They're making the American bulldog pull weight. How would you like it if someone made you pull this type of weight? The American Bulldog was bred to pull heavy things. That's what it does. That's what it was bred for. So you want to know when the American Bulldog is most happy? When it's pulling weight. And on the other side, you don't see it, but you can Google this on the videos. Like, there'll be the owner or the master like this calling the dog for it, and the dog is just like, <sighs> and when it gets to the master, it pulls the weight. It's having the time of his life, just happy. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's like, this is everything I love. I'm happy. American Bulldog is meant to do that. On the right is a Welsh sheepdog. This dog was bred to what? Run around in open fields all day long. It runs around and has the time of its life getting sheep to go where they're supposed to. 
Now, if you take that Welsh sheepdog and go, oh, he's so cute, I love him. Uh, I want a Welsh sheepdog, and I'm just going to take him to my uh, 27th floor apartment in San Francisco, and we're going to live there happily ever after. You go away for four hours for dinner and a date. You come back, that dog will have started to eat the pillows and your table. I mean, some of you know this. You've tried it. You you got the wrong breed. You You weren't educated. You made a mistake. A dog will start to eat wood. It'll bite in, it'll try to bite the wall, it'll bite curtains, it'll eat your, like, I'm not saying this like metaphorically, it'll start eating your pillows. Just loses his mind. Why? Because that dog was designed to run around all day long and you've locked it up in this small space and he begins to go crazy. The dog loses his mind. You young men, God made you to work, work hard, to protect, to provide, and to serve. And when you're not protecting, providing, serving, and working hard, your life is going to be miserable. You think it'll be luxurious and nice. You will go crazy. It's not good for your mind. Develop a strong work ethic. Become the man God wants you to be as early as possible. It's very difficult in our economy to like get out and become independent of mom and dad just because things are so expensive. So, so don't feel any shame by this if you're still living at home. Um, but you need to become independent, financially independent, as soon as possible. You were meant to break away from mom and dad and go start a new family. And you'll love it. You absolutely will love it. And our culture is not telling young men this thing. You get to hear, marriage is a backwards institution. It's like, and then all your guy friends will joke, oh, you're going to get married, time to put the shackles on. Marriage and family is not shackles. That's nonsense. When you get married, the shackles come off of you, the shackles of your own immaturity and selfishness, because you learn to begin to provide like a real man for your wife and your kids. That's what you are called to do. And trust me, when you feel that, it's hard and it's heavy upon your back, but just like those dogs, when you're doing what you were designed to do, you're going to be happier. You're going to be happier. I can tell you, there is nothing in this world that gives me a a tenth of the amount of joy that my wife and, and kids give me. And it's not easy. It's difficult. It is very hard. And, and again, a, lo- a lot of this stuff, too, applies to, to mothers and, and, and to w- women, too. Um, but I feel a particular burden for young men in our, in our culture right now. Because when men fail, women and children suffer. And we're seeing the effects of it right now. Now, word to, you could still be young and a father, but particularly for those of you who have, are, are, already, have already have kids. Um, you don't exist for yourself anymore. It's not about you. It's not about you. I was watching a video of a professor, and it was so controversial, he told his students Um, when you get married and have kids, it's not about your personal happiness and fulfillment anymore. You die to yourself and live for them. And it was so controversial. Are you serious? Of course you die to yourself and live for your kids. Of course you do that. doesn't mean you can't be happy. Actually, more often than not, when you do that, you'll find happiness. But it's it's not the message we're we're telling our, our, our young fathers. 
Um, there are tons of um, videos online that, like I showed earlier, that display the, the failures of fathers. Uh, but I want to show you a quick video. It's also funny. Um, it's not funny. I don't know what it is. But it, it, it sort of illustrates... This first one I'm really drawn to is dad's tired and he's sleeping. Um, but he's still wired to, to, to help his family. And so this is just a video of, of dad's um, almost blowing it, but pulling off the very things that dads do. Oh, it died. Oh, you don't get to see it. It's just a picture. Look it. Huh? Not going to work. Look at that. I'm not even kidding. Look at that. It's not going not gonna to show. Second service gets it. I mean, this was the best part of the sermon. It's all going to fall apart from there. It's all falling apart from there. Uh, if they get it to work, we'll show it on your way out. Um, but basically, I'll just illustrate that the dad's like asleep, tired, and the kid's going to like start to fall, and he's going to get hurt, and dad in his sleep kind of just like goes out and catches the, the baby with, with one arm. And it's just like, it's what you do. Um, the Bible tells you, fathers, to interact with your wives and your children in certain ways. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Um, that is not a suggestion. It's not like a nice idea, husbands. This is a command. You are supposed to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And there's tons of implications about it. But the thing I like best about it is the most convicting, if I'm being honest personally, is it's not like love your wife in marriage when things are good or when she's treating you the way you want to be treated. The analogy that's given is husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. Christ died for you and loved you when you hated him. Not when you had your act together, not when you were a good, like, uh, when, when your marriage was all, when, when, when your relationship with God was perfect. No, he died for you when you hated him. So husbands, this is a command that's independent of circumstance. You love your wives. No, Isaac, you don't understand. My wife can be really annoying. I don't care. I don't care. You, you, you think you're not annoying to God Almighty? He had to go to a cross for you. You, know, you weren't crucified for your wife. It's a command. It's not, it's not optional, men. You love your wives. And for some of you, when the marriage has failed and maybe there's kids involved um, and, and your first wife is, is now your ex-wife or you're not together anymore, that, that, that can be difficult. But, but let me tell you something. You do it anyway. You do your best to love those because your kids are watching. So however difficult, however awkward that circumstance is, however horrible that, that falling apart of the marriage was, I don't care. Your kids are watching. You love their mother. You do the best you can to love their mother. And I could all... In the church, I've seen too many fathers pick up and not care about their children or their wives, and they could sit in the pews their whole life and hear this stuff again and again and again. They still choose to get up. And everyone else pays for it. When fathers fail, women and children suffer. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. I had stuff to say. I don't care. I'm too emotional right now. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, men, you're meant to carry weight, and when you don't carry that weight responsibly, thing, things end up horrible for, for many people, mostly the people who are the most innocent in those situations. Lastly, a word to grandfathers, and then I'm going to bring it together. I'm going to challenge you guys. Um, kids uh, need their, their grandparents to teach them about the Lord, and, and uh, one of the best things you could do if you're a grandparent is just when you come over, man, tell, tell those grandbabies about the Lord and how you've served him and how you love him more today than you ever have. Because sometimes like when, when parents are like telling you to go to church or to read your Bible, it, it, uh, it's just the nature of things. It, could, it can feel like a chore, like something you're having to do because mom and dad are telling you. But grandparents, you're like, you get this weird place where you're just like, you get to come over all the time and bring presents and not ever have to discipline or anything like that. So they, they love you in a special, unique way. So they need you to say, look it, I've served Jesus my whole life. And I, I love it. And I love him more today than I ever have. Th those, those kids, especially the young kids, they need to see you doing the, that, that same thing. So if you're a grandparent, do that for your grandchildren. Do it for your kids, your adult kids. They need it too. They, they need you in their life. And here's a quick tip. My, my, my parents and uh, grandparents do, uh, in-laws do great, great at this, but just a tip that if you're a grandparent that maybe your son or daughter is afraid to ask. Um, when you come over, you always like watch the kids, and sometimes you convince yourself like that's an awesome favor to watch the kids. Uh, parents don't mind watching the kids. It's trying to watch the kids and do the dishes and clean the yard. So, so one of the best ways you can bless your kids is to when you come over, don't just wash the kids. Wash the dishes. Serve your children because they're in the chaos of little kids right now. I'm blessed. My, my parents and in-laws do this. But that's a quick tip that, that you, I guarantee you'll get a better Christmas present at the end of the year if you put that into action. All right, so um, all of this is, is, is practical. But here, here's the main thing that you need to live with is that no matter how much you failed as a father, no matter how much um, your father might have failed you, no father is perfect. There's only one perfect heavenly father, and in that idea is the story of the gospel. Jesus comes and does the will of his father and does exactly what all fathers are supposed to do. In his life, Jesus serves the bride. He serves his wife and his kids. He washes their feet, and in death, he dies to save them. And that is the holy, sacred vocation of men. It's a lost masculinity in our culture. You are meant to serve and to love and to protect your wife and kids. And if need be, die for them. And when we restore that proper image of our Heavenly Father, things will start going better for us. And what you need to know is that your Heavenly Father is gentle, compassionate, and loving enough to say, let the children come to me. But he's also strong and powerful and authoritative enough to drive out the money changes in the temple. And when we have that full understanding of God, we will begin to relate to him in the way that the Bible's calling us to, and then in turn, we can begin to mirror that back into the world. We wanna be like Jesus who perfectly images the Father. So I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up, and I just uh, wanna close with a challenge for all, all the particularly men in the room. If, if you're a young man in, in the room today, 
you might need to, in this time, uh, talk to God and commit to him to some of the things we talked about. You know you're, you're, you're being lazy, you're not working hard, you're not, you're not getting things together, you're taking advantage of your parents' compassion. Um, repent of that. Give that to God. Work through where you're at in your life. If, if you're a father right now and, and maybe you know you, you haven't been on your A game lately, you're not, not loving your wife or an ex the way God would have you in whatever context of life you're at, um, you're, you're, you're not loving her like Christ has loved the church. This is the time for you to, to commit to God. God, I need, I need to get my act together. Help me to do this. Help, help, me, to help, help me to show her how precious she is to me. Help me to love her and, and, and also to help love our, our kids better. Are you, are you being the dad to your kids that you need to be? If not, talk to God about that. Wrestle with it. And to the grandfathers, if you, if you feel you, you've been lacking, because everyone knows as your body gets older, it's harder to have energy. But with what little energy you have, make sure you're giving it to your kids and your grandbabies. Show, show them how much you love you. They need you. may not seem like it, but they need you. So take this time to, to talk to God and commit to God. Uh, find resolution. Uh, maybe repent of some things and, and ask God to reveal those areas in your life that you might need to work on. Father God, um, I do thank you this day that you are a good heavenly father. You always do right for us. Gentle enough to say let the children come and powerful enough to, to drive out the money changers in the temple. And so, God, we reflect on your goodness today. I pray for extra comfort for people who have, again, uh, distorted images of, of fathers because of earthly fathers. Work with them today. Remind them that you are the good heavenly father who is there for them. And for the other men in the room, Lord, I pray that you would bring conviction. Wherever we're not carrying the, the right amount of weight on our back, show it to us and help us to pick it up and start carrying it, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.